Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're talking about something that is a very popular topic in the aquaculture world. We're going to be talking about some novel feed ingredients. And particularly, we, we spent a lot of time on insect proteins, uh, black soldier fly, that's hard to say, black soldier fly proteins. And it's super interesting. And I get, I got pretty excited about it because I found it just fascinating. Sean was geeking out. That's Yeah, for sure. it's super cool. Um, <laughs> I agree. It, I learned a lot in this episode. It's something that I didn't really know very much about. And it's just fascinating. I didn't know anything about it either. And that's why we brought on an expert. We spoke with Andrew Richardson, who is the aquaculture product manager at InnovaFeed, and just had a really cool conversation about this stuff. So uh, before we get into that, as you know, I'm going to tell you, like I do every time, make sure you're subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get all those new episodes automatically downloaded onto your device. And if you'd like to keep in touch with us, you can do that on Twitter. You can find us at AquademiaPod. We're getting very close to 500 followers on there so we might even have hit 500 by the time this comes out but if we haven't then maybe you can be our 500th follower so be sure to follow us um and we have been known to give out prizes to our twitter followers in the past so that may be worth it that is very true and another way that you can get in touch with us is on our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you want to suggest a topic or a guest or if you want to sponsor the show, then you can do that on our website. That's right. And lastly, as we always do, we're going to ask that if you enjoy the show, if you listen regularly and you get something out of it and you find it valuable, we would really appreciate it if you could just take a couple minutes, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out a lot and it's free to do and it really doesn't take that much time or effort. So we appreciate everybody that's done that and uh, enjoy this conversation that we had with Andrew and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we are sitting down today with Andrew Richardson, who is the Aquaculture Product Manager at InnovaFeed. How's it going, Andrew? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Yeah, welcome. We're excited to have you. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one for a lot of people. Uh, every time we talk about feed, particularly feed ingredients, um, we get a pretty good response. People really like it. We get a lot of downloads and, and I think people really are interested in this topic. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple different things within the aquaculture feed realm. But before we do that, Andrew, tell us who, who we're talking to. Give us a little background on yourself, how you got into the industry and, and stuff like that. Sure. So uh, hi, everyone. My name's Andrew. Uh, I've been working in the aquaculture industry now for several years. Um, my first experience in the industry was uh, working for a company called Select that did um, uh, breeding program management, so kind of a breeding program consultancy. Um, and so I worked uh, using uh, next generation sequencing techniques to, to, to support um, uh, producers of, of all kinds of sizes uh, to help optimize their, their breeding programs. Um, and following a couple of years in that space, I was looking to um, uh, to maybe go into something a bit more commercial, a bit more broad, rather than, uh, than stay in, in the lab, as interesting as that was. Uh, and so I did a, a two-year master's program traveling around Europe, uh, very fortunate to, to be able to take advantage of 
um, uh, the Erasmus program, um, studying at kind of three major universities and doing my dissertation in Greece. Um, uh, Greece, that I sounds look, nice. I look back on very fondly. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> a, a really good, uh, a really good two years. Um, and I really recommend any young student, uh, people listening to, 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 to travel and, and, and learn uh, as internationally as possible. Um, and then following that, actually, I, uh, I secured my, my role with uh, InnovaFeed and I've been the agriculture product manager for, for around three years now. Um, uh, InnovaFeed is a uh, leading black soldier fly producer based in France. And so I work internationally now as well. Um, uh, yeah, supplying uh, sustainable um, uh, performance ingredients for, for the aquaculture industry. But I guess we'll get more onto that. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So as the aquaculture product manager, what does your role look like within Feed? So I'm in charge of um, uh on the, on the back end, we arrange our R&D projects as they relate to aquaculture uh, through myself. So sort of directing our, uh, our involvement in international uh, consortiums like the Millennial Salmon Project with Nofima, which also has partners like uh, Cargill and, uh, and Auchan, the supermarket, uh, Corbion, the other novel ingredient uh, producer, as well as Sintef. Um, uh, but also kind of... Uh, uh, R&D efforts that we do with third parties. If it relates to our aquaculture performance, then um, I have a hand in, in, in organizing the trials or, uh, or setting those, those things up and then using those results to, to help formulate our, our commercial arguments. And then on the commercial side, I help to, um, I'm, I'm the face of, uh, of Innova Feed in front of our, our commercial partners, whether that's uh, players such as, as Cargill, Biomar, Scretting, but also uh, discussions with some farmers as well to help them uh, make the most of their feeding strategies. That's all. <laughs> That's uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, when I joined in Overfeed, it was a, a little, uh, it was a bit smaller than it is today. We're now at 250 people. So the job has has grown um, uh, and, and the team has grown. Uh, so my responsibilities have sort of extended with that growth, I guess. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned that you've done some work with, with GSA in the past, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've uh, helped to contribute to a couple articles. There was one on insects last year. Um, and then uh, I've spoken at a, a goal virtual event as well. But my colleague Chloe participated in the goal event in India um, several years oh, back. Oh, yes, I remember Chloe. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. She really enjoyed herself, actually. She found it really fascinating. It's such a shame that they're... Live events haven't been uh, haven't been able to run for the the last couple of years, but looking forward to them coming back online. Yeah, yes. India was the last one that we did live in person mm-hmm. two um, and a half years ago. But people, you know, we may have some good news about that coming out very soon. <laughs> so keep your keep your ears uh keep your ears on the horn here because we'll uh, we'll make some announcements soon about the upcoming goal events. But that's not for me to say right now. So <laughs> let's talk about feed. Let's talk about Innova Feed. Um, sure. how, do you, can you give us a little history on Innova Feed and kind of how how it came to be and what what its missions are? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So Innova Feed was founded by uh, our three co-founders with the mission of supporting uh, uh, sustainable use of the oceans and uh, to help to tackle head-on uh, the kind of upcoming challenges of our generation. So. 
uh, food shortage, climate change, fresh water shortage. And their, um, their, their, their idea is that we can use um, insects, put insects back at the heart of our food chains um, to upcycle ingredients that are otherwise not being well valorized by either human or animal feed uh, supply chains. And uh, through that, we can uh, increase the efficiency of those systems, which is clearly very important, but also reduce our reliance on other resources that are strained. And so um, one of the kind of key principles of that is, is partnering with those players who have those co-products to be valorized, right? So InnovaFeed partners with uh, large agro players um, uh, to, to, to take uh, co-products from them and uh, to, to, to provide uh, a stable, traceable, uh, high-performant feed for our insects um, that they can bioconcentrate and make available to, to fish, for instance. That is ambitious, but super important. And I'm really happy that we get to talk about it today. Uh, and I want to focus a lot on the novel ingredients, particularly uh, insect proteins, which you mentioned a couple times, because I love talking about this. We've, we've mentioned it quickly in a previous episode. Maddie's rolling her eyes because she knows that I, I find this super interesting. <laughs> I Be- love it. Because I, I am a big, um, a rabid consumer of sci-fi pop culture. And this is mm-hmm. a common trope. And it's cool <laughs> because it's something that is kind of based in reality because it's, it's kind of an, uh, an untapped resource when we're talking about protein. Now it's unt- it didn't used to be, but it is. It's coming back. And uh, I got a question. The the one that's always gets tossed around in these insect protein conversations is the black soldier fly. Why is that the species? Can you clarify that? Why is that the one that we always go to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there are seven um, or potentially even eight now species in the European Union that are, are, are legal for farming for animal feed. Um, but you're right, uh, black soldier fly does seem to come on, out on top in terms of the numbers of producers who are, who are farming them. So why is that? Um, well, one of the, the big areas where you might be surprised to find that there's a, a core advantage is that actually the black soldier fly larvae can consume a wet uh, co-product. Um, so why is this important? In an industry where we uh, have to anchor ourselves, our right to play is, is sustainability, uh, a wet co-product can really support you. That's because you don't need to boil off any additional humidity to make a dry product for the insect no. to consume. And so boiling off you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of tons of water off of uh, wet co-products that exist from, say, the beer industry or the whiskey industry or the starch manufacturing industry, choose your your industry. It's often a wet co-product. And so not having to do that saves a phenomenal amount of energy. Um, And that's kind of core to the sustainability proposition of of the insect. Um, And I would imagine it saves a lot of time in production as well. Yeah. And of course, the the, the cost of energy for for boiling off that water as well is another huge upside. Mm. So um, sustainable both on the economic and the uh, kind of ecological aspects uh, for that. Um, A second core element is that there are non-cannibalistic species of Mm. insect. Um, Mm. Insects do have a tendency in high densities uh, to 
to, to, to cannibalize if the um, surroundings are not appropriate or if there's a large size distribution in a, in a set population. And Black Soldier Fly doesn't uh, face that specific challenge, which is great mm. because we like to raise them in high densities. And so having the same number in the morning when you come back as you left in the evening uh, is, a, is a real advantage uh, for a farmer. So that makes them uniquely applicable. They're non, uh, non-carnivorous. Um, and then uh, finally, another core element is that there's no known pathogens that are specific to the Black Soldier Fly. Um, and so whilst we are sure that, you know, uh, as, uh, as modern farming, uh, you know, as, as farming history tells us, the disease will be a challenge one day. We're starting off at a really good uh, space where there aren't any currently known diseases specific to the fly. Wow, that is so interesting. So when you really lay out all of those facts, it, the black soldier fly is kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, so it just seems like really the perfect, <laughs> the perfect species. Yeah, and the idea is to use these create protein. What do you like create meal from it for for feed? Right. Yeah. So we um, uh, we separate the the larvae into three products. So the first product is the protein meal. Uh, so a fairly similar fish, uh, composition to fish meal, both in terms of crude protein and amino acid profile, uh, which is another unique element of the black soldier flies that we can touch on later. Um, uh, but also the oil fraction, which is a valuable replacement to say palm or copra oil. And we valorize that actually with poultry and swine farmers. We have hyaluric acid, which is mildly antibacterial. So it actually helps piglets when they wean from their mother, they normally go through some gastric distress. And we found that uh, insect oil helps to mitigate some of those challenges if it's in a first feed. And then the third product is the frass, which is the dejections from the insect or uh, the poop. It's a, it's a 100% vegetable product. That's an organic fertilizer that we spread on the fields uh, in northern France. Wow. So, okay. When I was in college and I think I've shared, I think I've talked about this uh, before. I, I had a fellowship, I was part of a fellowship program where we were doing research on fish meal replacement in, in feed. And we wanted to see what percentage of fish meal we could replace with soybean meal before you started getting kind of a, a decrease in the in the growth rate. And the idea is to, to replace fish meal with this alternative ingredient, right? So mm-hmm. is it used kind of like in that same capacity as like in conjunction with fish meal or can it be a complete replacement in, in fish feed? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's some pretty species specific effects here, but if you look at uh, the salmonid industry, we've been commercializing the product since 2018. Um, uh, we have a pretty well um uh documented partnership with, with Cargill and, and Leroy, of course, the second largest salmon player in the world, I think currently, who you've been using our insect uh, ingredients since 20, um, 2018 as a replacement for some fish meal in, in smalt diets. Um, uh, in trout, we've replaced up to a hundred percent of the fish meal without any any um, negative effect on sort of the macro kind of growth uh, elements that farmers look at. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the trout is also uniquely applicable because they're a fresh water, so they consume up to 70% of their natural diet in rivers is, is insects, right? Not tuna head hydrolysis. So That's true, they're yeah. also uniquely placed to, to, to be great consumers of insect ingredients. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah, we think so about the, most fish species as eating other fish, but yeah, certain species that 
insects as their their natural diet. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so we see a lot of uptake and interest from farmers at sort of like um, at at the in, in say if you say uh, take the salmon industry kind of up to up to seawater, which is now a period that's looking at like one to one point five years. They stay on either onshore or in freshwater facilities. Um, that's a great opportunity to start integrating uh, insect ingredients because they're reducing your your fish in fish out but they're also potentially you know they're more natural there's a story you can tell to consumers as well about using natural diets um uh, and they perform uh, in terms of your growth yeah how long is the production cycle for feed Ooh, interesting so there's two parts to that answer so and a larvae goes from egg hatching to being uh processed into protein and oil in in two weeks oh, wow. and or a bit less than two weeks and then um uh, the around one percent or less than one percent that we keep all the way up to adult because we do all our breeding programs etc in house it's, it's a totally integrated process um so the remaining one percent that we don't process they take about another week week and a half to get up to maturity they go they pupate like uh, lots of other insects like butterflies so go into a hard chrysalis kind of uh, uh, form and then when they emerge, they live for another week, a week and a half. Another unique selling point of the BSF is that while they're reproducing, uh, they don't actually consume feed. They are uh, reproduction obsessed, so we supply them with water, but they don't need more feed during that process. They have all of that from when they're larvae. Um, so it's so another great uh, element for farming. them. And so uh, for them, uh, about four to five weeks is a natural life cycle all the way up to maturity. And then, and wow, then that is really quick. That is quick. And then you're supplying this ingredient to feed producers, mostly locally or kind of all over the world? Uh, so um, we have two facilities in the north of France, um, yep. one of which has been operational since 2018. And for the most part, we supply... Uh, most of our volumes head towards uh, Norway uh, for salmon production. Some volumes go in France for trout production in France. Um, uh, but we're looking at uh, exploring new markets like uh, breaking into the shrimp market. We announced a kind of performance ingredient for shrimp as well. Um, and, and an overfeed has global ambitions, right? So we don't want just to be an insect farmer in France. We announced the Decatur facility in Illinois, um, which production is start well um uh the foundations are being put in this year on on our first site in the US and we're looking to also uh put sites in uh, in other geographies of the world and then supply their aquaculture industries with relatively local insect ingredients um yeah the global ambition <laughs> yeah for sure so what are uh, i, I want to talk about uh some other topics too like uh, you know sure. apple proteins and, and sustainability and feed and stuff like that too but before we do that uh what are some of the drawbacks to insect meal yeah of course so um uh, not all uh, ingredients are, are are made equal and um our in insect ingredients have, have some great properties some uh, fish species can find the chitin component challenging to digest um uh, that sensitivity seems very species dependent some some species actually consume a lot of natural chitin in in their natural diets and seem very well adapted to consuming it um others less so the other kind of most well documented element um is that uh, insect ingredients as they are not a part of an aquatic feed chain 
don't have an omega-3 content as part of their natural fatty acid content. So you don't they get that lots- natural like bioaccumulation of that. Yeah, sure. So you could supplement an omega-3 rich ingredient into their diets to induce uh, a storage of, of omega-3s. And that's something that we've been interested in and, and looking into. There's questions about uh, efficiency. Uh, is it better to feed those ingredients to the animal that that will become an ingredient or try to do it more directly to the fish uh, mm-hmm. in terms of kind of storage and, and use of those of those valuable compounds? But it's something that we're interested in. Um, but we also think our insects have a great fatty acid profile, uh, regardless in terms of energy and, and digestibility. It just uh, doesn't have that high omega-3 content that uh, some particularly marine carnivorous farmers are looking for in in their diets. Interesting. <clears throat> Moving away a little bit from sure. insect proteins, uh, even though I could probably talk about that for a very long time. Um, <laughs> when I spoke with you on the phone, we also talked a little bit about algal proteins. And one of our very early episodes, we spoke with, who, who did we speak Vera with? Maris. Vera Maris. about their algal oil. But you have some, some insight on algal proteins uh, as well for novel ingredients. Can you kind of talk about what you guys are doing there in that realm? Yeah, sure. So um, we've looked specifically at, in terms of how we're directly interested in some of those areas, is looking at uh, what co-products we can source from, Right. And uh, large algal oil producers have have unique co-products that could potentially bring some value to to us. Um, uh, but I think there's also a huge amount of work going on in the, at the moment in uh, exploring the use of algal proteins um, uh, either as a co-product of the production of algal oils um, or as uh, potentially a specific product produced for uh, sustainable feeds in, in uh, the salmonid or alternative uh, aquaculture species. I mean, I think that the aforementioned uh, Millennial Salmon Project, for instance, is I think the first kind of consortium approach at looking at combining um, insect ingredients and algal ingredients together for, for salmon diets. Because, um, uh, of course, we like to look at novel ingredients, whether it's algal proteins or algal oils or insect proteins or insect oils, for instance. Uh, but there are many others, polygeats, or um, uh, there's a company even doing wood-based proteins, um, etc. Oh, yeah, they they presented at Goal as well, I think. Right, the, yeah, I think, I think it's it a was really interesting the... idea, hey? Yeah, that was cool. Sorry, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> Just... No, no, no. Um, but there's lots of these different uh, ingredients. Uh, but of course, um, they're not... We hope they're not going to be in isolation from one another in in aquafeeds, right? We're all just trying to increase the basket of of ingredients that these aquafeed players can can use and play with and 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 grow this, the industry sustainably with. And so they'll be used in conjunction. And so working out how they play together is also a big part of of making sure that you know the novel ingredient uh, space grows. Um, uh, and 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 supports the industry. So, in your opinion, what do you think? And I don't. I mean, I don't know how deep into this specifically you are, but let's take salmon farmers, or maybe no, yeah, let's not do trout. Let's do salmon farmers. What, in your opinion, do you think would be the ideal feed combination of some of these ingredients? Because you know, there's a lot of things that go into 
making feed, including cost and availability of ingredients. So like, what what do you think in an ideal world, what would go into the best feed? Sure. I mean, I kind of think, a tough uh, question, but <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a tough question, but maybe I can, uh, I can supply an answer so wrong that it'll inspire someone to come up with a better answer. <laughs> um, I think, uh, uh, well, uh, the first topic there, I guess, is about uh, feed and feed cost. I think that uh, the last year, and especially with the Ukraine crisis, for instance, has really shone a light on on uh, the kind of cost sensitivity of some of those ingredients that we take for granted, like wheat, for instance, where you've seen right. huge price increases. Um, and it relatively makes some of these other ingredients look much more affordable when your cheaper ingredient is no longer cheap anymore, right? Um, yeah. I think that uh, for, for a salmon farmer, their priorities are... Um, about uh, nutrient density. So uh, they're very focused on uh, a high uh, mega rich oil content. And then what remains needs to be very nutrient dense because they don't have a lot of space in their formulations for for messing around with low density uh, nutrient ingredients, which is why they're so optimized. And so you're looking at at, uh, protein ingredients that are either concentrates or uh, are in invariably uh, kind of over 55, 60% crude protein with an amino acid profile that fits the requirements. So fortunately, a um, uh, number of insect ingredients are now well-documented as fitting into that space, but there are others as well. You can look at some some polyketa ingredients potentially. And I think it's also important to, to point out that we're not necessarily looking to uh, I don't think any novel ingredient producer, although I don't want to speak for them, is necessarily looking to remove completely the requirement for uh, f- for marine ingredients. We think that marine ingredients are uh, pretty great for carnivorous species. It's just a challenge of to uh, if we assume that uh, fishing levels are going to remain stable, although some people could argue that they're going to to decrease. Um, and you want to grow the industry, then you need to find a way to to fill that gap, right? And so um, uh, uh, replacing fish meal and thus reducing the fish in fish out ratio, for instance, of a salmon, but not necessarily reducing the overall usage of of the industry, because we still think that those ingredients can be farmed, uh, can be fished sustainably, um, and 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 are great for great for fish to have those those natural ingredients in their in their diets. So um, uh, I guess that's my answer. Although I'm not particularly <laughs> convinced it's uh, what you were looking for. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was looking for. Uh, if we're being mm-hmm. honest, so <laughs> I just wanted well, to see. Superb. Then there was yeah. no wrong answer, and that I was succeeded. <laughs> that was that was the perfect answer. No yeah. wrong answers on the Aquamania <laughs> podcast. Unless they're coming from us, probably. Yes, that's true. <laughs> We're wrong some of the time. So let's talk sustainability. It's in the name of our podcast. So sustainability is something that we sh- we should uh, touch on. And I want to talk about sustainability. What are some of the critical elements regarding sustainability with these novel ingredients? How has technology and the advancement of technology kind of influenced that? Uh, where are we at now? And then we can get into you know what what is in store for the future. Of course. Um, uh, loaded question I, again. I'm feeling. I'm, I'm throwing you a lot of you know these these tough ones here. No, I'm 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 enjoying the conversation. It's dynamic. Um, a pretentious way to start might be by asking how you measure sustainability, and I think the 
Um, the European Union um, is making a move towards a very uh, a PEFCR uh, LCA methodology. So an LCA, uh, for people who aren't aware, is a life cycle analysis, which is a structured way of approaching uh, an, uh, an industry or a product's uh, impact across the life of that, uh, of that product. So not just how it's produced, but also uh, where it's valorized and the, the industries that it's valorized in. Um, and uh, they're really, I think now in, in Europe, starting to hone in on the methodology that they really want to use. And that means that all farmers are now starting to use pretty much the same way of measuring sustainability, which is answering that first question that we often like to pose, like what is sustainability? Well, it starts mm. to seem like the industry is coming up with a standard. Um, so that's really important and a really great initiative that a lot of those farmers are, are investing quite a lot of energy in. Um, it's quite aligned to like the Paris Agreement where uh, or the science-based uh, in, uh, targets initiative where some of these farmers are committing to like 30% reductions in scope one, two and three um, uh, impact reductions by 2030. You know, these are these are really impressive um, uh uh, commitments that they're making and ambitious um, and and very ambitious right very ambitious and and, and, uh, and very uh, it's, well, it's very encouraging to see from an industry that i work in and that i care about that they're willing to make those those big statements um and so uh then they posed us the same question that you posed us which is how can novel ingredients support us with our ambitious targets right mm-hmm. And I think sustainability for novel ingredients is the right to play. And so every producer of a novel ingredient has to be able to support their own argument for sustainability. And just replacing uh, a marine ingredient does not equal uh, sustainability, right? I mean, if you're using extortionate amounts of electricity or you're using vast quantities of what could either be human food quality products, um, then you're not part of the solution. Although um, I don't think many of those kind of uh, examples exist. For InnovaFeed, uh, the way we've tackled that particular challenge is by um, having a, a unique uh, industrial uh, model uh, where we are symbiotic with uh, two core industrial players. Um, so the first player that we build our site next to, because of course an insect farm can be built anywhere, right? So we choose where we build our farms and we put them, uh, uh, the first partner is where we get our feedstock from. So we co-locate in, in France at our big industrial uh, facility, the world's largest currently operational facility. We're co-located with a starch manufacturer. Uh, called Tereus, so they're a large, uh, a large player on, on the global stage in, in, in that market. Um, and so we are actually able to, we have a pipeline that connects our two factories. So we're able to pump directly that wet co-product, which we talked about earlier as being so important. And that means we get trucks off the road. So wow, super. that is yeah. so cool. And and a lot of that is waste product from the production of other products, right? It's one hundred percent the co-products from uh, the production of um, ethanols and things that are actually used as in human food. So a lot of oh um, it's one hundred percent wheat uh, co-products that that they're producing anyway. That is yeah. amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And to valorize them previously, they were boiling all the water off and then selling kind of like a, a degraded dry bran uh, for methanizing it, for instance. 
and we get to use that wet so they don't have to spend that energy doing that and they can pump it directly to us which is pretty great um and this yeah it's uh, uh great and then the second partner that we have is um a partner called Cogebon which are a um uh, waste wood biomass turbine um kind of like a renewable energy biomass player so they take waste wood from you know pallets that are broken up etc and they, they burn it to create energy um and we are you know less than 500 meters as the crow flies from them so we attached a hydro condenser um to their heat exhaust they pump steam into the atmosphere which i think we've all seen we've all driven past um uh, power stations um and that steam is warm and we use it to heat water in a coil around the exhaust um up to around 60 degrees which is pretty wow. low value energy like um you couldn't run a turbine with it but what we do is we pump it to our facility and then it's kind of like your underfloor heating uh in your in your home we <laughs> use it to heat our factories because our insects like around 30 to 32 degrees and sadly for me the north of france in winter is not anywhere close to 30 degrees <laughs> so you need to come up with a good way to kind of heat your facility all year round at a, a low energy cost um uh and and that's how that's how we do that and the rest of the energy we use we buy directly from them so 60% of it comes from waste energy and the remainder we buy we buy from them that i'm going to need a breakdown amazing. of all of this for my my uh, my next futuristic sci-fi screenplay that i'm going to write <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I can help you be the architect of your Mars uh your Mars station. Yeah, for I sure. I love that. <laughs> so, you were just talking about being on the in the facility, like where the insects are. Could you give us sort of a visual of what it's like at your facility, at your feed facilities? What is it like? What kind of production and machinery is there to like maintain the health of the insects and all all those kinds of yeah, things? I think a lot of our listeners would be familiar with fish hatcheries or shrimp right. hatcheries and stuff like that but like an insect farm i i can't even picture what i'm picturing <laughs> just a big a big room with a giant net that you walk in and there's just bugs flying all around like how what, what's it like <laughs> sure of course uh so um our insect facility is a it's basically uh, almost three separate factories uh connected together so we have uh one uh very large uh, greenhouse our insects use natural light to support their reproduction when they're in their adult phase and so we have a very large long greenhouse um and inside of that there are um mosquito nets like you might have when you go on your your tropical holidays but very large and completely enclosed and they're on a trolley system that moves uh through the greenhouse and once a day those big uh mosquito net uh, enclosures which contain thousands of of adult flies will move into a uh, a room where the eggs are collected from uh, from a specific tray and then that trolley will continue its journey back out into the greenhouse until those adults have uh, completed 
their uh, reproductive uh, cycle and it's time to change out the net. And so we have lots of those nets traveling around all the time in a fully automatic uh, process. The tray that the eggs have been laid so upon, cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very cool. And uh, I have a, if you, I don't know if you have links in your, in, in where you yeah, yeah, podcast, yeah. but I can provide a link to a, a kind of a video of, of what our, our factory looks like on the That universe. would be great. I would love to see it and I would love to put, share that link in our show notes, 100%. Okay. Wicked, I, I can I can send you that to you afterwards. Um, uh, the tray that has the eggs on it is then placed um, uh, above a, a very small conveyor belt, a conveyor belt for ants, if you will. And um, when the eggs hatch, they drop onto that conveyor belt and are taken, they're counted automatically. Um, and then based on the number of insects and the weight of substrate that's been put into the tray, you know how many larvae that you should dose into each of your trays. The trays are then taken uh, on an automatic trolley system into a three-story storage unit, and the trays are taken and deposited somewhere in a warm, dark place until uh, they are of age, at which point they are automatically taken back down into the third part, the kind of third factory, if you will, which is the, the processing area. And it's there that the trays are flipped, the larvae are sieved to separate the frass, which is the dejections from the larvae themselves. After that, the larvae are taken into a separate room where they are processed into protein and the oil. That's uh, that's that. And we we kind of we use uh, similar technologies to the fish meal industry uh, to to create to, to separate those protein and the oil. So a mm-hmm. tricanter setup. Yeah. So something that that our our listeners may be familiar with if they if they've done any work with feed. Um, yes, that is so cool. If you ever want to fly me out to France, I'd be happy to come take a look at it and tell you what I think of it. I would love to see that in person sometime. That sounds super cool. Uh, we're getting a little bit low on time, so I don't want to drag this out too much. But what what is next? What are the next steps that you're going to work towards? Sure. So the next steps for us are um, our large scale industrial facility in France is ramping up. Um, then the Decatur project in Illinois is four times larger than the project in France. So the project in France has a 15,000 ton capacity for protein. Um, so that's your finished protein ingredients. And the Decatur, Illinois project is around four times that size. And so we'll start construction on that towards the end of this year with a kind of a technology center. Uh, so that's partnered with ADM, which are a, a large uh, corn processor in the, in, in in the Midwest. So that's the first next step. Um, And then I think that will be um, a a blueprint for how we want to um, expand to other geographies. Um, In my own workflow, we're really looking now at the the shrimp industry, um, which is not one that's been traditionally of focus for for novel ingredient players such as Innovafeed, but Um, We've demonstrated some really exciting performance gains in shrimp at the lab scale, and we're just finalizing our our first commercial trials. So we're talking like FCR improvements of like 25 to 28% in in Vanami with one-to-one replacement of fish meal. So some really exciting stuff Mm. on the horizon. And I think that really highlights the potential of novel ingredients, which is that we don't really know what they're fully capable of yet, whether that's insects or algal proteins or... Or polychaetes, for instance. Fantastic. So just a couple more questions. How can we help you? What can 
we at the podcast or at GSA do to help you reach some of your goals? Sure. So I think um, uh, GSA is a huge platform uh, for for sharing uh, new innovations and new technologies and motivating both farmers and consumers to make great seafood choices um, and, and continuing to believe that, that great seafood is a, a fundamental um, and, and believable part of a, of a human diet. So I already think there's a, there's a huge amount of value being created there. Um, I think that uh, increasing the exposure for, for novel ingredients players by having us at conferences and putting us in the room with the with the big boys can really help to shake up some of those conversations as well. I totally agree with that. I think that more and more you're hearing about these novel feed options. And I think that the more people hear about them, the more likely they are to get on board with them. Because just hearing about some of the benefits that you've been talking about during this episode, it's there's a lot of potential here to make it more widely available and make the seafood industry a bit more sustainable or responsible if we responsible, if we want to yeah. be more provable mm-hmm. with the vocabulary that we're yeah. using. Um, so last question for you today, Andrew, would be if, if our listeners want to get in contact with you or learn more about InnovaFeed, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, so we are very open to being contacted, so please do. I'll leave my contact information with uh, with yourselves if, uh, if that's something that you want to put in the description. People are more than welcome to, to reach out to me and ask questions. That'd be um, great. Besides that, we're quite commonly at, uh, or hopefully, uh, given okay COVID status of the world at the moment, we'll be at, uh, you know, the conferences like uh, World Aquaculture, the new Global Shrimp Forum that's just been announced, uh, NASF, hopefully, in, in the North Atlantic, which I think you guys are, are, are attending as well. Yes. Um, as well as uh, some conferences in the US as well. So we're more than happy to, to communicate with, with people. Great. And we don't bite. <laughs> I need to like the flies. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners will be at those various events. So if you're attending, be sure to look out for Innova Feed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is there anything else that you want to get out there while you have the platform before we wrap up? Uh, I think uh, for me personally, I think uh, consumers now are really happy to, to find out more about their food and where their food is coming from and, and how they can make sensible decisions and choices. And I think that as an industry, we can uh, learn a lot from being open with those with, with that valuable stakeholder basket and, and providing them with information in a digestible way um, to help them support making great choices. And um, there's a lot of uh, great uh, initiatives doing that right now, but there's always a scope for improvement. And uh, that's something Yeah, I love that. This- that's definitely something that we're working more. We're, we're progressing more towards that, like communicating with consumers directly here at Global Seafood Alliance. Yeah, it's not something that we've really done too much of in the past, but we know we've identified, and anyone that listens to the show knows about this, we've identified the, the, the issue of the industry kind of being in a vacuum, and we need to start breaking out of that vacuum and talking about all these great things, these great new technologies and all, all this sustainability work uh, that's been that's going on. We need to break out of that and get that into the minds of consumers so people know all this great stuff that's going on. And that's just, you know, that's that's the goal now. At least for us, Absolutely. that's a big part of what we do on the podcast. So, Absolutely. And it's, so and it's again, great work being done by some of the biggest players in the world, you know? Like, uh, it's, this is, the industry is pretty phenomenal. And uh, obviously, uh, we, we've got a long way to go. But I think uh, 
<laughs> uh, not being afraid to support consumers getting educated is always a positive. 100%. So again, Andrew Richardson from Innova Feed, we really appreciate you joining us and stay in touch. We're going to we'll keep we'll keep in contact with you and maybe we'll have you on again in the future to see how things are going with the with these uh new initiatives you got coming up. I'd really love that. That'd be great. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Andrew. Folks, that was our conversation with Andrew Richardson from Innova Feed. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something and I hope you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're not, make sure you do that. And if you want to contact us or keep up with us, get notified when we post new episodes, then you can do that on Twitter. You can find us at AquademiaPod. Or if you're not on Twitter, then you can get in touch with us on our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. And remember, if you find value in the show, uh, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes, leave us a rating and review because it's really helpful to us and we appreciate everyone that's done that. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.